Hey, what's up, everyone? Antonio Neves here, and welcome to episode 26 of the Best Thing Podcast. And in this episode, I have an amazing conversation with Emily Fletcher. Emily is the founder of Ziva Meditation and the author of the fantastic book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. Now, in this conversation, we talk about something that most people like to ignore, and that is being willing to tell the whole truth. Emily said that wasn't always the case for her. In fact, she said she had a coach she worked with that called her a Navy SEAL level liar. And we're not just talking about the big, crazy lies. It could be the small things. But Emily talks about how she learned from that and how she learned to tell the truth to everyone in her life, those people that matter most. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And if you're enjoying the Best Thing podcast, like I know you are right now, hit follow, hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you haven't left me a review, come on, what are you doing? Take a few moments, write a short review, let the world know how much you enjoy this podcast. That way more people are going to learn about it and we can spread the word. And lastly, in terms of spreading the word, why don't you share this with a friend, a family member, a colleague, a neighbor, you name it, just spread the word. It would mean so much to me. Thank you so much for considering. Thank you so much for listening. And now let's get to episode 26 with Emily Fletcher. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is someone I met via Drew Perlwitt. Uh, You may remember Drew as a guest on this podcast. And when I heard Drew's interview with her on the Broken Brain podcast, I knew I had to talk to her. Now, Emily Fletcher is the founder of Ziva Meditation and the leading expert in meditation for performance. She has taught, now get this, over 25,000 people the skill of meditation. She is an international speaker and author, and her book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, has been translated into 12 languages. The New York Times, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Vogue, and ABC have all featured Emily's work. She's been named one of the top 100 women in wellness to watch and has spoken at places like Apple, Google, and Harvard Business School. Now, Ziva graduates include Oscar, Grammy, and Emmy Award winners, Navy SEALs, and even NBA players. Now, Emily, I'm so happy to have you on this podcast, so thank you so much for making time. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, hello, hello. So let's get into it. So I'm curious because when I, when I read meditation for performance, typically uh, I don't associate, at least personally, I don't think about meditation with the word performance. Could you, could you break that down a little bit for me? Most people think that meditation is a waste of time, honestly, or they think it's like a cute thing that they'll get around to when they have some extra time, like a pedicure or something like, oh, when I'm not so busy, then I'll start meditating. 
And it's been one of my missions to reframe meditation as the single most important piece of mental hygiene that we must be practicing if we want to perform at the top of our game. And if you read the autobiographies and the bios of the people that you mentioned, you know, Oscar, Grammy, Tony, award winners, the best athletes, the world-changing entrepreneurs, 90% of them start their day with meditation. And so I just thought, like, why, why has no one connected these dots? And I think a lot of people assume when they start meditating, they have to change their identity or start wearing patchouli or become a vegetarian or move to the cave or wear robes. And none of that is true. I just see meditation as a tool to help you be the most amazing version of you. And so I've dedicated my life to that, to reframing it for folks to see that, oh, I'm not spending my time with meditation. I'm investing my time. And if you do it well, and if you get a technique that's made for you and not a monk, you should be getting a return on that investment. You should be getting more time back in your day. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I got to laugh for a quick second because there was a there were a good five years in New York City when I had these long dreadlocks. And you would think that I had a contract with patchouli because I felt like it was my job every day to lather myself in patchouli oil. That has nothing to do with nothing. I see. I'm glad that we're friends now and not then. I, really, I have a visceral reaction to patchouli. Well, all smells really. But patchouli in, in particular makes me angry. And more angry than a meditation teacher should be. <laughs> Listen, my wife equally does not like patchouli. And I got some soap recently and she was not with it. It was in the garbage pretty quick. Um, so some of your graduates, you mentioned they're, they're Oscar, Grammy, Emmy Award winners, Navy SEALs and NBA players. Now, of course, we know a lot of people find meditation for a variety of reasons. But I'm also curious about what do you think it is about these individuals and you? So what about you and your approach makes you accessible in a way that maybe someone they came across previously, uh, they're like, no, I'm good. I don't want to learn about meditation. But what would you think it is about you and how you communicate with them gets them to listen and, and commit? Well, I think it's a couple of things. One, I am personally, just like I'm allergic to patchouli, I'm also allergic to people who make a mood about meditation, people who are overly precious about it and are like constantly in ceremony, but not actually doing the work. I think that practice itself is so effective that you don't need to add any layers of pomp and circumstance on it. It's like, are you going to the gym or not? Are you meditating or not? You don't need to tell everyone that you're going to the gym. You don't need to wear fancy robes and talk about your meditation all the time. You just do it. And then your whole life gets better. And so I think that people perceive me as someone, quote unquote, real. Uh, the thing, the number one piece of feedback that we hear from our graduates is that I made it accessible. And I think what they mean when I when they say that is that it, it, it makes sense to them. They understand why you would, quote unquote, waste your time for 15 minutes twice a day, that they're seeing the tangible um, benefits and, and, that, and that their brains start to change. Um, and I also think, I'm, like I was saying earlier, I'm really highlighting the performance aspects of it, that this is a tool. If you want to be a better mother, you want to be a better entrepreneur, you want to be a better citizen, you want to be a better artist. Well, guess what? Stress is making you stupid, sick, and slow. And so it doesn't really matter what your occupation is. Stress is not allowing you to be the most amazing version of you. So I think also because of my career on Broadway, I don't remember if you mentioned that in the bio, but I used to be on Broadway for 10 years. And so I think because of my performance background, right out of the gate, I was able to access, you know, those types of performers. And then I think that uh, the ripple effect of that started happening because people would tell their friends, hey, this is really changing my life. And so that's just where I started and decided to double down on it. 
You mentioned, no, we did not talk about Broadway previously. And for folks, uh, Emily had a 10-year career on Broadway with major shows like Chicago, 42nd Street, A Chorus Line, and beyond. I'm curious, when I read people's bios, I I love to read people's bios. And one thing that really stood out to me about your bio, Emily, is that it does not mention your Broadway career. Now, I know men and women, whether they're former athletes or they worked in former professions, that at some point they have to, and in a previous career, they did X, Y, and Z. And when I read your bio, I was like, oh, she's good that she has moved on from that. And she doesn't have to say, oh, by the way, I used to do so-and-so. And and I say that only because I remember when I transitioned from working in the television industry in New York City to doing leadership and development work, when I introduced myself to people, I would always say, hey, I'm a coach, I'm a speaker on so-and-so, but I used to work in the television industry for NBC and BET and PBS. It's like I had to preface who I was and I had some experience and some value of worth, but a long-winded way for me to ask you, how have you been able to, to release that chapter, if you will, and not have to include it in what you do today? It's a really good question. And to be very honest, it's recent. That's a new update as of a few months ago. And it's it was such a huge part of my identity since I was eight years old. It was what I did. It was who I was. It was what I thought about and did basically 24 hours a day, anytime I wasn't sleeping. And so it took a long time to shed that part of my identity. And, and I even felt like it was relevant in introducing me as a meditation teacher because I do tend to work with high performers. And that doesn't mean that you have to be on stage or anything. It's just I define a high performer as anyone who wants to be better every day, anyone who wants to leave the world better than they found it. And, and I do think that my Broadway career gave me a bit of street cred in that arena. I think now my street cred comes from my 25,000 high performing students. And so I don't need to rely on it. And, and to be honest, it doesn't feel like my identity anymore. I so rarely think about it or do it. I mean, I like going to see, well, I used to like going to see my friends in Broadway shows. Um, sadly, Broadway's shut down for the moment. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like who I am anymore. Hey, if you want to see Emily dance, all you got to do is head over to her Instagram page and you'll see some little dance parties that she has at home to, to get it out. And I love how you're playful on your, uh, on your Instagram page. But let, let's get to the question, the, the gist of this podcast. Emily, I'm curious for you, and you've had such a decorated and amazing life, I think from your upbringing to, to Florida to, to where you are today in New York City. What would you say is one of those things that is uh, the best thing to happen to you that wouldn't necessarily show up on a resume, a bio, or come up in casual conversation that has played a profound role in in who you are today? Okay. So I'm going to give you two options and you can tell me because two things are coming to mind and you can tell me which one you want to dive into. So the first one that comes up is when I was 24, my dad passed away from stage four liver cancer and I was still acting at the time. And that was a real catalyst moment for me. Like that was really where I started learning about alternative medicine and healing and the body's innate capacity to heal. I thought that I would become a naturopathic doctor. I thought that I would leave performing and go into that. So that was a real profound. That's also when I started therapy for the first time. Um, so it really set the stage for me to start the meditation work. So that was, but that was a long time ago. I was 24. I'm 40 now. Um, the much more recent one that that's new and, and, you know, we don't have the end of the story yet. <laughs> You know, my husband and I have been going through a lot of changes in our marriage. We've recently become parents. We've started working together. We've moved. 
And we've had a lot of personal challenges. And through that, we've started coaching. And I had already been working with an executive coach, but then we started working with a relationship coach and he started therapy. And, and in doing this coaching work, my whole life has changed. Like I've, I've started recognizing things about myself that I had no idea about, that I've discovered that I'm extraordinarily codependent. We've discovered that, and this is my coach's words, that we're both Navy SEAL level liars. <laughs> Here I am 12 years into a meditation practice. And she's like, no, no, you're Navy SEAL level. Like you're so good at it. Um, and that my other coach says, it's like, it's almost a comedy routine, how committed you are to not telling the truth. Now, I wouldn't, if you asked me two months ago, if I was a liar, I'd be like, no, I consider myself to be a very integral, very honest person. <laughs> but the tricky thing is that when you're lying to yourself, you can't see the lies, you're swimming in them. And so I think uncovering my own codependence and uncovering my own ability to lie has been uh, really uh, intense. And I think, you know, I mean, we're in this moment in time where so many people are waking up to the lies they've been telling themselves about race and racial inequality. And, and so it's, I feel like discovering my own codependence, my own fear of telling the truth has somehow prepared me for telling the truth uh, in these like bigger societal issues. Yeah. Well, with those two options, first, thank you for sharing both of them. And I have compassion for the first one about your, uh, your father passing away when you were just 24 years old. And as you were speaking, our, our listeners can't see you, but I can see you. I can tell the listeners that something came alive in you as you were talking about uh, this work uh, with the coach and, and the, the Navy, several, Navy SEAL level lying. So for me, I'd be interested to learn more about that and what's been coming up for you as the best thing working with this coach and uncovering the, this codependency and the, the lying, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I mean, let me just clarify that there. So I work with a group. I work with um, the Handel group. So it's Lauren Zander is the founder. And so she is my executive coach and Lori Gerber is my relationship coach. And they're both amazing and brilliant. And if you want to have them on the podcast, I'll happily introduce you. And if, and if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe uh, Lori, she's been on um, Dr. Hyman's podcast, correct? Pharmacy. Lauren, Lauren Zander has. Yeah. So she's Mark Hyman's coach as well. Um, she coaches everybody, Hugh Jackman, Dr. Mark Hyman, Mickey Agrawal, Elena Brower, Ali. I mean, she's, you know, everybody. She coaches everybody. Um, she's, a, she's a good witch. She's like a white witch. <laughs> this woman is borderline psychic. Um, I think Mark calls her a spiritual dentist because she can just like drill into your cavities that you can't even see. And it hurts. God, working with her hurts. It hurts so bad. Hugh Jackman says that working with her is like having a bucket of ice water dumped on your head where you're just like, oh, I didn't want to hear that or <laughs> know that. Um, and then if you, you know, just like uncovering your own levels of racism, it's like, it's like, it makes you want to barf. It makes you sick to your stomach. And then you're like, oh God, that's true. And then if you just sit with it and metabolize it and you bring it into the light, then you can do something about it. But if you spend your whole life denying it, if you spend your whole life pretending that it isn't there, it's like the wound just gets more and more infected. And so, so the, the new discovery is this codependence, which I didn't really know what that word meant. I think that word is thrown a lot around a lot, but people don't really understand what the term means. But my working definition of it now is someone who is willing to put other people's happiness above their own. 
someone who prioritizes someone else's happiness above their own. And that is what leads to the lying, right? Like, oh, I'm angry at my husband, but I'm scared that if I say that I'm angry, that he'll be really upset. So I'll just lie and pretend like I'm happy. I'm scared that my mom is drinking too much, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to hurt her feelings. So I'll just pretend that I haven't noticed that this is her third gen and tonic. You know, it's like, it's all, it's the little lies that lead up to the big lies. And, and so their definition of lying is not just an outright lie. It's anytime you're hiding the truth, exaggerating the truth, minimizing the truth, the stuff you're taking to the grave, like there's all, there's many different flavors of lying. And the thing that has really been liberating for me is that they're like, everyone lies. Literally everyone in the whole world is liars. <laughs> We're all liars. We're all swimming in it. And so lying is not a morality issue. We used to be like, oh, well, you're a liar. Just like, well, you're a racist. It's like, well, we're all swimming in racism. So it's like, it's not the degree, it's not, are you a racist or not? It's the degree to which you are and the degree to which you're willing to look at it. Same with lying. It's like, we're all liars. Can you recognize your own flavor of it? And can you start to um, shine light on it? And so my flavor of lying is... I guess, omitting the truth, pretending that things are okay when they're not okay. And that was showing up in every area of my life with my employees. I wasn't being honest with my feedback. I was just working harder and doing it myself versus calling them up and calling them out. Um, In my marriage, it was showing up in my family. And because I am quite capable and very hardworking and pretty smart, I could just sort of like, well, I'll just take the load. Like I'll just do more work in the marriage. I'll do more work at work. I'll do more work in my family and I'll just make everything okay. Like I'll just peacemake. And I actually think there's a a Martin Luther King quote, which I'm going to mess up right now, but it's like, basically, would you like to have like a violent peace or um, like a disruptive truth? Mm. We should fact check that. But, But it's like, there's a way to just keep the status quo going that actually is not true peace right? Versus, oh, let's just have the fight. Let's have the talk. Let's get these things out into the air. And then you get, it might be, you might have conflict for a minute, but then you get to a true earned peace, a spaciousness. And so I feel like I'm, I'm just uh, having to be very, very brave. Like I have uh, a bunch of you can't see these, but I have a bunch of post-it notes right now. So I've like, uh, my coach is asking me to like kill little Miss Sunshine. I have um, temper tantrums do not equal death. Um, that people pleasers don't believe in their dreams. And then my main one is that I have to pledge allegiance to the truth. And for me, and these are all just post-its that I have on my desk right now, because I'm that it's that ingrained to me that I have to look at these things every day, all day to remind myself that I'm allowed to speak my full truth. And, uh, and it's so scary for me. I, I, my preference would be to avoid conflict at all costs. Well, first, I appreciate you for sharing all of that. And as you were talking about being braver, I think about a previous guest on this podcast, Elaine Welteroff, who's an amazing person. She talks about being a little bit braver and how she was challenged to do that. Uh, I'm curious, and I, I want to talk more, a little bit more about what you talked about, but you mentioned even at 24, you had started doing some different types of therapy. Now you're working with a coach. I'm curious for you what the difference is for you working with a therapist as opposed to working with a coach. I think a lot of people get confused. They may think that coaching is therapy. So I'm curious how you've processed that, how you've seen working with a coach. Good question. So I have an amazing therapist as well. So right now I have 
too much. It's too many cooks in the kitchen, but I'm working with three people. So I have an executive coach, I have a relationship coach, and then I have my personal therapist. And to me, the therapist is more a, a place, and I don't know that he functions like normal therapists, but it's a place where I can just go in and purge and process and talk about whatever is coming up for me in that moment. And he has this beautiful, his name is Thomas Jones from the Paradox Process. And he does what I call speed therapy, where he's just asking you a million questions. And he has this process where you're clearing the emotional charge around something so you can come to the truth, so you can see things with more perspective. And um, that's been hugely transformative for me. And it really helped me to process my dad's death. And I remember the first thing he said to me when I sat down, I'm 24, Southern, codependent, people-pleasing, child of an alcoholic, and I've got a pink dress on, big hair, big mascara. And, and I sit down and he goes, oh, you are a strong, angry woman. And I was like, I'm not angry. Mm. I don't get angry. I don't, I, I never fight. And he was like, he just started laughing. <laughs> Because he could see just like years of rage inside of me that had not come out. Um, so therapy for, for me is um, more like laser focused emotional clearing, whereas the coaching is more holistic. And I can't speak for other coaches because I've only worked with the Handel group. But even before you even sit down with one of their coaches, you have to write down your dreams for 12 areas of your life. And then you have to write down every lie you've ever told that you can remember. You have to write down like 30 things that haunt you. Like, oh, I cheated on this person or I got fired from this job or I, you know, just whatever. I, you know, 30 haunt things that still haunt you. This person lied to me. My friend betrayed me. Um, and, and then you go in and you do this work. Like you write down your dreams and you assess where you are with the dreams. So they're really looking at your life holistically and what they do is this series of, of promises and consequences. So if you want to be a New York Times bestselling author, and yet you've never written one chapter of a book, right? It's like, well, what habits do you need to put into place to get you to your dreams? They're basically fighting for your dreams. And the promises with the accountability is, um, or the consequences is that you set a tangible goal with a timeline on it. And if you don't do the promise, then there's a consequence, so it could be like, I'm going to write chapters one and two this week. And if I don't, then I can't be on social media next week, or I'm going to write 200 words today, or I can't have my wine tonight. Or, you know, so hers is silly where she's like, I'm going to have sex with my husband twice a week. And if I don't, then I can't watch Game of Thrones like that episode ever. So there's sometimes they're silly. So they're not punishments, but it's coming after your vices to fuel your dreams. Um, so I think that the, the coaching has been more holistic. And in this case, they're brutally honest with me, where I feel like my therapist will basically just respond to whatever I'm bringing to him. They are calling me out on the stuff that I don't even want to look at or that maybe I can't even see yet. Yeah, it sounds like not only are they calling you out, but they're finding a way to call you up as well to what's most important. I'm not a therapist, but you know, I'm a journalist at the core. And when I'm listening to someone speak, I hear a variety of things. And something we referenced at the beginning of this podcast is how today you no longer uh, reference being that performer on Broadway who did 10 plus years on there. And I know you mentioned as a kid, you always wanted to do that. And, and this question is coming from a personal place as well. You know, I was fortunate enough to work in the television industry in New York City for over 12 years in, in front of cameras. It took me 12 years to realize I personally was in television for all the wrong reasons uh, because I was seeking validation. 
I was seeking approval. And that executive producer said, yes, we want you as correspondent or we want you to host the show on Nickelodeon or whatever. I was seeking validation and approval. So I'm curious, and I may be stretching here, Emily, so tell me if I am. I'm curious with you now just recently releasing the past of being that performer. Has that been any byproduct of the coaching work that you're doing coming to the present of who you are today? It's very insightful. And I hadn't even put that together, but those things are very likely linked because similarly, you know, as an actress, you're you're auditioning, please hire me, please like me, you're on stage, please applaud for me, please give me a standing ovation. Like I remember when I was in a chorus line, you know, every single actor comes out and there's applause, 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 like each actor gets its own, their own bow. And I would get very competitive. I was listening. It's like I had an applause meter in my mind. And I would notice like, because there's really only one other person that would get more applause than me. And sometimes, and sometimes I would get more applause than her. And so it was constantly like in a silent competition in my mind. Like, did I get more applause tonight or did she get more applause tonight? It's so embarrassing and gross to even admit that. Um, But that was always going on. Like, do you like me? Do you approve of me? There was such a neediness in my auditioning and my performing. And I think that I was looking for that external love and approval that so many of us are looking for if we didn't get it as children. And the sad thing there is that you can never get that externally. That will never come externally. That validation, that confidence can only ever come from within. And I think that it's why meditation has been so transformative for me because it was the first thing that allowed me to find that validation, to find that connection, to really fortify that confidence internally versus externally. And so, you know, now it's been 12 years since I've had an everyday, twice a day practice. And so I think that finally, maybe I'm less needy. I'm less, not fully gone, but less, you know, looking for approval. And and I think that that's also helped me to be more brave with my honesty and telling my story because I care a little less about making people angry or them not liking me. Yeah. And I'm curious as you're being a little bit more brave and you're you're telling the truth and you're revealing more, I can think back to what one of my coaches told me years ago that always sticks to me in my marriage or personal relationships is that revealing creates intimacy. That sometimes when we when we share those hard truths, sometimes whether it's with our partner or business associates, et cetera, that revealing us opening up that vulnerability brings us closer. It may take a second. <laughs> it may take a second, but it brings us closer. But what I want to get to is, first, I really acknowledge and appreciate you for sharing all of this on here. But some of those truths that are becoming real to you right now, you talked about being codependent and maybe some of the unsaid words, the unsaid truths, et cetera. How in the midst of processing all of this, Emily, do you simultaneously, because I think this is where a lot of people get caught up on this, how do you simultaneously still have grace for yourself and compassion for yourself when it's easy, I'm sure, for some folks to beat themselves up during a time when all this is being uncovered? Mm, That's interesting. That comes very easily to me, to be very honest, like to have grace with myself and to give myself a lot of compassion and space to get it wrong that's easy for me. It, it wasn't I'm trying to think. like when I was acting, it was less so like I was beating myself up of like, I should be further along than I am. I should have booked that job. I should be more successful than I am. But since then I am, I think my, like on the spectrum of things, I'm pretty naturally confident and I believe in my ability to grow. I'm very proud of the interpersonal work that I've dedicated my life to for decades now. And so I, I, ha- I feel like I've earned 
like a badge of rank in like, I have done the work, you know, thousands of hours of meditating, like 7,000 meditations or something, hundreds and hundreds of hours of therapy, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of apprenticing, you know, so I've, I've put in way more than 10,000 hours in this stuff. And so I, I feel like it's not a question mark for me. I have nothing to prove in that arena. And so anything that I'm uncovering now feels like mining for gems. It feels like I'm on a, in a video game and it's like, oh, if I can unlock this, I'm going to really unlock some new superpowers. And so I don't have any like shame or embarrassment around it because it's like, yeah. look, if I'm, if I've done this much work and I'm still uncovering it, then like, how could I not have grace with myself? I think it's yeah. like anything you do the work, you you trust the work. Yeah, and of course, I think that's going to bring your audience and your students even closer than they already are to you hearing that. And I'm even already imagining, I'm, I'm not sure what your next book is going to be about, but I'm even curious. Your first book is great, by the way. If you guys don't have it, make sure you get it. There's going to be a link in the show notes. But I'm even curious how different that first is going to be from the second book, the language, what you share uh, something tells me, even though this book is beautiful, your first book, something tells me this next version, this next book can be a little bit more, a little bit more raw. You think, is that fair to say? Oh, for sure. Like I'm already, like we're already in works. Like I'm working on the chapter outline and the overview right now for book two. And I'm just pushing the publisher and my agent. They're like, no, no, you can't talk about that. And like, oh no, we're, we're talking about that. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to go there. The fact that they said you can't talk about that means you definitely should. And I'm yep. glad. Uh, let's have a, a couple more questions uh, for you. As you've been doing this work and un- uncovering a little bit more of who you are and mining for the gems, as you uh, beautifully described, what effect is this having on you today uh, being a mother? Uh, you have a, a two-year-old son. And it's always fascinating because uh, all people say, you know, having kids truly, really re- reveals who you are. Like w- when these kids, young, young people show up and I have four year old twins. Bless um, you. Some, yeah. And someone told me a long time ago, your children will be your teachers. And, and I'm finding that very much. But I'm curious, how much is this work that you're doing right now informed or is it shaping how you, you parent that young boy? Oh, it's interesting to be honest, I mean, I, I, I hope, I trust that it's making me a better mom. I think that right now it's been so easy because he's so easy and such a delight. And so I just feel like the happier I am, the more joy I have to give to our relationship. Um, but it's been honestly, like every day is just better than the last. I'm, I am so grateful for him and he is teaching me so much, but it's mostly just presence and joy. Now I know that that will change, you know, as he gets more preferences and opinions and power struggles and all of that. And then I think that's when my real test is going to come of like the person that I don't want to hurt the most, the person who I love the most, you know, how will I be able to be fully honest with him? Like how can I call him up and, and speak my full truth, even when he disappoints me, even when he lies or when he, you know, messes up as we all do. And I think that's going to be when my, my test shows up right now. It's just a wonderland of delights. Um, I think that it's been different for my husband because my husband hadn't done a lot of this type of work. He's done so much other work, but he hadn't done a lot of the therapy or the coaching type of work. And I think us having a kid really was a catalyst for him to, to do it because he's like, he's, He's going to learn by watching, not what we say. And so it was really um, uh, 
an important, inspiring moment for him to do this internal work. I am, however, working on a kids course. So I'm working on what I hope to be the world's best kids meditation training. Um, we are deep, deep in development with writers from Sesame Street and Harvard child psychologists. And actually your kids at four, they'll be the, so it's from four to 14. There's two different age ranges and we have like a puppet. And so that's been really exciting to learn more about child psychology and child stress and, um, and I've learned a lot about rye parenting, which is like respectful parenting. And that has very much informed. It's interesting because it feels like learning about this parenting style has informed the way that I teach meditation and actually the way that I deal with adults, which it's very much, um, uh, if you've ever read nonviolent communication, it's that you speak in observations versus judgments. So let's say I were to say something you know, offensive, or if I were to say something mean to you and then your face changed, you know, it, it would be um, like, oh, I noticed that your face changed when I said that versus, oh, I, I, you look offended or did I offend you? Because that's a judgment. That's an assumption that I make. I can't see offense. I don't know if you're offended or not, but I can say like, oh, I noticed that your face changed. And that might seem like a simple shift, but it's actually been profound in my parenting. Because if he falls down and he's crying, you know, I could run up and be like, oh, are you hurt? Are you scared? Was that scary? And that's assumption, assumption, judgment, judgment versus like, oh, I, I saw that you fell. You're crying right now. How are you feeling? And it's observation, observation, question. It's curiosity versus leading with assumptions. And so if anything, the work that I've done to become a better parent is informing me as, as a human and as a teacher versus the other way around so far. Yeah. That's an amazing approach, not just with children, of course, not personal relationships as well with, with adults. And that's Jedi level stuff right there. Like it sounds simple, but boys that Jedi level to stop doing what we've been doing our, our whole lives. My, my last question for you is thinking about the listener, that man or woman that may be listening to this, who, Maybe they've been unwilling, if you will, uh, Emily, to hold up the mirror uh, to some of the untruths that, are, that they're not saying, or they've been that, that person who's been codependent, et cetera. To that person who's been unwilling to do so, what would you say to them to start maybe unpacking and, and sharing a little bit more? Mm. That the anticipation of the conflict is always worse than the conflict itself. So the fear of the conversation, the fear of the discovery, the fear of the interaction is always more painful than the uncovering, than the unveiling. And I just, I just keep coming to this, this term apocalypse, where it actually means the lifting of the veil. And people keep saying like, oh, 2020, it's apocalypse, it's apocalypse, this, that. And it's like, yeah, it is. There is a lifting of the veil happening right now. And, and, and I just come back to it with the meditation work, with the coaching work, it's like, what else are you going to do with your time on planet earth? Like, what do you really think you're here to do? Put more zeros in your bank account, you know, get more houses, more zeros on your Instagram followers. It's like, you're not going to care about any of that stuff on your deathbed. Yes. We need a certain amount of money to survive. Yes. Of course. You know, money makes the world go round. It's currency, it's lubrication to the things you want to do in the world. But I really, truly believe that we are here to learn our lessons. It's why we're on this planet right now. And if you're not willing to learn them, what are you doing here? I think that right there is a powerful way to end. What else are you going to do with your time here on 
earth. That's magic right there. Emily, I can't thank you enough for making time to join me on the Best Thing Podcast. For those folks that I know want to learn more about you, where would you like to, uh, to send them to, to learn more? So it's all, you can find all of our goodness over at zivameditation.com. And Ziva is kind of a weird word, but it's Z-I-V-A, zivameditation.com. And we're all over social media at Ziva Meditation. You can find the book. We have an online course. We have a really robust uh, self-care center with lots and lots of free resources. And all that's just at zivameditation.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing this. All the information about Emily, the links, her books will be in the show notes. Emily, I can't thank you enough for making time today. And, and I can't wait. I know we have to worry about your, your current book right now, but I'm really looking forward to that next book as well. Thank you for having me. And thank you for saying that. You're awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 